0: Yeah, sit back, relax. Hey, uh, if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, we're actually, you're jumping in at part three of a series that we've been doing called Collision Course. And really throughout this series, uh, we've been asking this question, you know, what do we do when two worlds collide? Uh, Because really there's kind of, for most of us, we live in two worlds, work and family. And what, are the, what do we do when those two worlds collide? Because it's almost like if I want to win at work, family loses. And if I want to win at home, then work loses. And so in part one of this series, we had uh, Doug come and speak to us about this idea of abandoning balance. Stop ab- trying to find balance because balance is not a thing that exists. Last week in part two, we had, uh, we had David. And David looked at the idea of it's not enough for your family to be a priority priority. They need to feel like they're a priority, and David talked around particularly transitioning some of our expectations that we have of others to appreciations throughout the week. And we're really excited to have Mark continue this series with us today in part three. So why don't we uh, make Mark feel welcome?
1: Hello, it's great to have you. Uh, It's great to be here, not to have you here. I guess I'm the guest here. So. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm sick, so um, you just have to put up with me coughing every now and again. Hey, um, it is really exciting to be here. Um, I, I came uh, one other time, I think we haven't saw a night service here, so I'm excited um, for a couple of reasons with what you're doing. One is that um, you're trying to intentionally create an environment for people like me who don't come from a church background, but were interested in exploring Christianity. And um, I actually went to Grace Lutheran College as a non-Christian. And um, I was the person who had no idea what was going on. I went the whole way through grace and and was very open to Christianity and um, became a Christian my first year after I left there. So um, I'm very grateful for uh, communities like this where people can belong before they believe. They can come with their questions and their their doubts and all their their confusion. And um, so what you're doing here really matters. And the other thing I'm excited about is that you're just starting a new church and um, it sounds really s- strange and crazy, but um, the, the, the most significant thing that they've found that anyone can do in order to grow God's kingdom is just to start more and more and more and more churches. And um, the fact is we have, you know, about 2 million people in Brisbane, and there's about... Um, I could go into, There's about 10,000 people in the suburb. There's, I could go into all the numbers. I'm a mass teacher. But the reality is we need hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more churches planted this year and then even more the next year and more the next year again. So what you're doing is hard. I've been involved in church planting a lot, but it is well worth your life. Lots and lots of people will come to faith. If you keep planting more and more churches, they'll be different and they'll reach more people. So I'm really grateful to be part of it. Um, I am someone who has no idea about life. I feel like I'm the clueless person. Who is often being rescued is anyone else like me um i remember when i was um in high school my mate corey and i used to do karate every afternoon after school he was excellent he went to the world titles and came forth i wasn't excellent i used to just get beat up every afternoon pretty much so uh one particular time i was sick of being beat up and i i, I went to go up to him and said you know, man." look, I'm just sick of this. I get beat up every afternoon. And I wanted to say, I'm going to kick your butt this afternoon. But I couldn't even get that right. And I walked up to him and said, I'm going to kiss your butt this afternoon. And I'm like, I can't even trash talk right. Like I am just incompetent, right? When I was in my last year of primary school, I don't know why they decided to do this, but they said, hey, um... Listen, we think it would be really good, your very last day of primary school. We're going to get you up on stage the entire grade, and you're going to do a performance. You're going to sing to the school. Now, I'm tone deaf, right? So I probably didn't know it back then, but they were nice. So they said to me, (coughs) they said to me, Mark, we're going to put you right on the edge and um, pretty much as far away from the microphone as possible, which was fine for me because I was a bit shy and embarrassed, and I was super insecure, so that was good for me. And um, just off to the edge of the stage, was a down on, on the ground, was a piano player. So the piano player starts playing, and then everyone starts singing, and everything was going well until the person to my right said, oh, just move over, there, there's not enough room, move over. Me not thinking, I take one step to my left, fall off the stage, hit the piano player, and destroy the entire performance, right? This was my parting gift to my primary school. I do embarrassing, clueless things all the time. Um, My most, I think, worst embarrassing moment ever, and this is going to sound made up. This is ridiculous. This is a true story. I was with my friend Corey again, the karate guy, and he he was super confident, like off the charts confident. I was really shy and insecure at high school. And one day we're playing um, I we're playing cricket or something in the backyard and the ball goes over the fence. So he goes to get it and he meets a new girl who's moved into the neighborhood, right? The new next door neighbor and he's like chatting to her and t- trying to you know, chat her up. I'm super shy and insecure so I'm still back over the outside of the fence like hiding behind a tree or something. I don't know. Anyway, he comes back over. He says, oh, I just met this girl, Jess. She's actually an actress in Home and Away. And we're like, what the heck? I don't think she was like a big actress. I think she was like in two episodes or something. But we lived in Redcliffe. And if you've been to Redcliffe, that was a big deal. We've got the Bee Gees and we've got the actress from Home and Away. That was it, right? So he comes over and he's like raving about her, this new good-looking girl in the neighborhood. Anyway, a week later, my friend Corey and I... um, we go to you know do you guys know Kippering Village, it's a shopping centre. If you haven't been there, don't go, it's it's rubbish. But anyway, so we, we were at Kippering Village and um and she, you know, for some reason she's there and he's like, Oh, that's the girl, that's my new next door neighbor, that's Jess, I'll, I'll introduce you and I'm like really insecure and I am shy. I'm like, I don't want to like you know, and he's like no no, he's like super confident. And I I don't know why he did this, but he, he walks up and he goes, Hey Jess, how are you going? I don't know if you met my friend Mark, and this is such a dumb, weird thing to say. I, guess. I don't know if you met my friend Mark, but he's a bit of a tiger, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I'm already shy and insecure, but then what happened then was just like, so he says, I don't know if you met my friend Mark. He's a bit of a tiger. In that moment, I don't know why I did this. I look up, and I went growl, and I'm like. I'm pretty sure this is the worst moment of my life, right? Like I don't, I don't think there's anything, this is it, this is a Yeah, anyway. So I am clueless. I am someone who has no idea what I'm doing. Um, you had Doug come here two weeks ago. I actually know Doug from uni. The reason I got through physics at uni is because of Doug. We did one subject. There was 200 people on the subjects. Uh, only seven of us passed. I got a four, which is not good. Don't, I'm not, that's not good. He got sevens, right? I studied with him for two weeks nonstop. He would not stop studying. He would wake up. I'm not even making this up. He would wake up in the middle of the night because he somehow solved a problem in his head that he couldn't solve. He'd bring the books to the dinner table. I got through because of him. I am the person that everyone looks at and goes, we like him. He's just not very good at stuff. So we help him out a lot. And that's how I get through life, right? I have random people sometimes come up to me and go, um, It's awkward, but they kind of offer to take me shopping because they realize I'm so bad at fashion, right? If I've done okay at fashion today, it's not because of me. It's someone helped me along the way. I am the clueless person. When it comes to life, because I am fairly clueless, I am someone who reads heaps, and I read a lot of books that... um, I guess, are designed to, to help us with life. I'm the person that's devouring all the new books and, oh, okay, there's this principle that's helpful or whatever. And as we continue this series, which I've only seen one of the, the two talks beforehand, Collision Course, Chris has asked me to speak about a particular principle that is certainly relevant for dealing with the, the collision between family and work. But really, it's just a good life principle. And the good news is, is whether you're a Christian or not, or whether your friends are Christian or not, this is just a good, helpful principle that will work regardless. So um, we're going to have a look um, at a, a story that comes from the Old Testament. So if you're new to church or new to the Bible, uh, when you first open the Bible, you probably find out that it's divided into two big sections. There's kind of like the Old Testament or God's Um, agreement god's covenant with the jewish nation and then there's the new testament new Testament's really where most of us spend our time because it's predominantly about jesus and the early church but we're going to look at a story from the old testament today and it's a it's a story about this guy called daniel you might have heard people talk about daniel and the lions and all that kind of stuff but to give us a bit of background there's a there's a youtube channel called the bible project it's really good i'm just going to show you two minutes of that so let's have a look
2: In the year 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonian Empire. And a year later, the city and the temple were plundered and burned. Thousands of Israelites were taken from their homes and relocated all over ancient Babylon. They became exiles. And so now they are a minority surrounded by a new culture with new gods. Now, some Israelites chose to resist Babylon by revolting or withdrawing. Others gave in, adopting the Babylonian way of life and accepting these new gods as their own. And you might think those are your only two options. But the prophet Jeremiah told them to do something totally different and surprising. To settle in, build houses, plant gardens, grow families. And most surprisingly, to seek the well-being of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So this is like a third way. Yeah, it's not compromise or revolt. What does it look like? Well, there's a whole book of the Bible that explores that question. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel was one of the Israelites taken into the Babylonian exile. And because Daniel had a royal heritage and education, he was recruited along with some friends to work in the high court of Babylon. Work for the enemy? That would be compromise. Or they could gain the king's trust and take him down from the inside. That's what you might expect. But instead, they take Jeremiah's advice and choose the third way. They serve the king of Babylon, taking on Babylonian names and even clothing style. So they seek Babylon's well-being. But in doing so, aren't they just giving up their heritage? It could seem that way, but actually they aren't. As you read on, the story focuses on moments where they draw the line and they choose faithfulness to their god and resist the influence of Babylon. So, for example? Well, like when they're commanded to bow down to the idol of Babylon and give allegiance to the king as if he's a god. Ah, they won't go that far. Right. This is where you see their true loyalty. It requires them to critique Babylon's idolatry of power, its arrogance, its injustice, but they do it non-violently by laying down their lives.
1: Sorry. Here we have the story of Daniel. We're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 1. So it should come up on the screen or if you have a Bible app or whatever you want, check it out. Uh, you all can have a look. So Daniel chapter 1, uh, we're going to start with verse 3. Uh, then the king ordered, now I, I was trying to work out how to pronounce this. I'm going to have a go and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Ashpenaz, what do you reckon? We're going to go with that? Is anyone like a Hebrew scholar? Good. Okay, I can say whatever I want. It's Ashpenaz, if you're... okay, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now, like many of you, When I read that, like many of us when when I read that, I immediately think, well, this is a full-on set of criteria, right? Like they've got to be young, without physical defects, handsome, aptitude, you know, they're willing to learn, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve. This is a big list of qualifications. They're not just looking for any, you know, Joey Blair, They're not looking for someone like me who's clueless. They're looking for someone a bit more like this. Check this out. This is what I found on Instagram, so uh, <laughs> what do you think? Seriously, you're a good-looking guy, Chris. So, but here we find the king of Babylon recruiting a group of young men to be his servants. Now, because he has great plans for them, he needed to do two things. The first was he wanted a group of men who fit a certain set of criteria. He wanted the best of the best of the best. He's got tens, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people to choose from. He's not just going after anyone. He's recruiting the best of the best. But added to that, he had to ensure they got proper training. We read on. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, They would enter the king's service. So here we find that this was a really, really big deal. Not only uh, were they to recruit the best of the best, but they were going to be put in this three-year training program. And it wasn't just any old training program. It was like strict. They had to learn an entire new language. Has anyone learned another language? It's not easy, right? I I had to learn Greek at Bible college, and I did not. That was not fun, right? So I did not do well. It is a big deal to learn another language, another culture. Well, obviously, they're in that culture. But to learn the literature. And added to that, they were going to be put on a strict diet, right? They had to keep their physical, you know, appearance. And I saw your stats yesterday with you running. That's insane. What are you doing? What was it? Yeah. 20-something Ks. In how long? Like, you are, you, are, you are being led by an elite athlete. Do you realize this? This is incredible. Right? I look at that and go, like, I could maybe run 1K at that pace. Maybe. If I, I don't know. Anyway, I've got ADD. I apologize. So anyway, so they're put on this strict diet. They need to work really hard. This was a big deal. So Daniel and many of his friends, but they've basically been chosen. They're the best of the best. The three-year training program. You're going to have to learn another language. You're going to have to be put on this strict diet. This was a really big deal. But then this happens. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the raw food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now that's a weird thing, right? Daniel, you're in another culture you're probably feeling like you have very little rights, very little power. You're not really in a very safe place. You know people get executed in this culture. This is not like, you know, Australia or whatever. And for some reason, you've been set aside as the best of the best. You've been put in this three-year training program. And now, Daniel, you're going to do something which is going to put your life in danger. You're going to do something which is going to cause trouble for yourself. Why are you doing that? But for the Jews, there were certain foods that they did not feel before God that they could eat. Now, we find that strange. I mean, maybe you don't find that strange. Maybe you're from a culture where that's quite normal. But for many of us, we find that strange. Perhaps the closest thing we have today is that you might every now and again in the, in the news or you might know someone who's from an Islamic faith and you would know there were certain foods that they feel like they can't eat. In fact, um, on Facebook, um, one of my mates commented on this. So if you have a look at this, this was a post. Boycott Hillel in Australia. So this is a bunch of people on Facebook who are upset that Muslims will only eat certain foods. <coughs> Sorry, I'm losing my voice. I uh, Continue the Calvary's boycott. Buy Lint or another non halal brand. Instead, still selling at half price. Continue to boycott Calvary's. We see that all the half price chocolates are still left. So obviously, when you hear that Muslims or people from an Islamic faith will only eat certain foods. Most of us are like, that's cool. That's their religion. Let's allow them to practice that. But some people, for some reason, get upset by that, and they're offended by that. And in many ways, Daniel would have faced way more than just some kind of you know, persecution on Facebook. This could have been his life. Actually, my friend Andy, who's here today, he saw this, and this is what he commented. I just found out that water is halal certified, and I'm shocked. We need to boycott this, right? I thought that was brilliant. But for Daniel as a Jew, there were certain foods he could not eat and it wasn't just about diet. This was not some small thing. It was a really big deal. So Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Now what's interesting is this. Daniel didn't wait until he got to the dinner table and think, oh, actually, I can't eat some of this food. Maybe I shouldn't eat this tonight. Or Daniel didn't... You know, like many of us, you know, he goes, Oh well, I'm gonna pick and choose what I feel like. You know, we often go, Oh, right now I feel like potatoes, or right now I feel like chicken, or I feel like, you know, chocolate. Daniel wasn't just like eating whatever he felt like in the moment. Daniel didn't wait till the last minute to decide. There was something deep within him. He knew, being part of this training program, he was going to be offered the king's food, the royal food. And he says to himself, or he basically made a decision. Um, He resolved not to defile himself in this way. He committed. In one sense, another way to say it is he pre-decided. He decided ahead of time, I am not going to eat the royal food because it will not stand, it will not sit well with my convictions. Now, you can sit there and I can sit there and go, well, Really, I'm not sure I feel the weight of this. I don't really know if this is such a big deal. It's just food. I know maybe under their culture, under their religion, God wouldn't have wanted that. But at the end of the day, Daniel has a conviction. He knows if he waits to the last minute, he's probably going to get caught out. He knows if he just does what he wants from this moment to this moment, he's probably not going to follow through. He resolves. He pre-decides. He makes a commitment in his heart. It does not matter what happens. It does not even matter if this costs me my life. I am not going to eat the royal food. I have pre-decided. I have committed. I have resolved in my heart. This is what I will do. And basically, that is the principle we're looking at today. This is it. This is the main point. The key to being strong in the moment is to pre-decide before the moment. The key to being strong in the moment is to pre-decide before the moment. Now, we know this, right? You didn't have to hear the story of Daniel to know this, right? Like if you want to lose weight, you don't just go, well, I'm just going to go randomly from moment to moment. You look for a plan. This is why diet books sell so well. Everyone knows we need to pre-decide, we need a plan, we need to make commitments, and then hopefully we'll be able to pull them off ahead of time. And this is especially true when it comes to uh, this tension between work and family. For those of us who are busy, those of us who feel this tension, it's not enough just to say, well, I hope I have enough time with my family. I hope enough to have enough time for recreation. I hope I have enough time for rest. We need to pre-decide, don't we? We need to pre-decide, I am going to set time aside for my family. Now, some of that will be spontaneous, of course, but there will be moments where you say, I will pre-decide. I will make sure I'm home this many nights per week. I will make sure I'm home by this time, generally every night. I will make sure we have dinner this many times per week. We are predeciding, and it's with the predeciding that we have a far greater chance of living the life that God would want us to live. The same is true when it comes to investing in our family. If we want to be the kind of people who say, I'm not just about spending time with our family, with my with my my children and my spouse or whoever it is that you hang out with, but if we want to be the kind of people who love and invest and encourage, we need to predecide, I'm not going to nitpick. I'm not going to be overly critical. I'm not going to, to, you know, if I've had a hard day at work or I've had a hard conversation with someone else, I'm going to do my best to leave that at work so that I can give my family their, the full attention I need to. We need to pre-decide to do these things. And, of course, no one disagrees with this. This makes sense, doesn't it? And the same is when it comes to our spiritual life. For those of us who are Christians, we would say that family is not the most important thing in our world. Now, that sounds shocking in today's culture, right? We would actually say, for those of us who are Christians, we would say we have found something even greater. Jesus talks about finding a treasure in the field and being so overwhelmed, so enamored by this treasure that we would sell everything just to gain this treasure. And that treasure is Jesus. That we get hold of Jesus and we see everything in light of him. And and this is shocking if you're not a Christian, but if you speak to a Christian... And you say, What is the greatest treasure in your life? They're not going to say their children. They're not going to say their their spouse. They're actually going to say, Look, Jesus is my life. He is my source. Yes, my, my spouse is a gift. And yes, my children are a gift. But Jesus is everything to me. So if we as a, as a community of people, um, as a church, as, as Chris was talking about, or even as a family, if we want to have a deeper, richer relationship with Jesus, we need to predecide. As a family, it might mean, I don't, it will look different for everyone, but it will mean pre-deciding, pre-deciding that we are going to spend time as a family with God to pray together, to study the scriptures together, to you know intentionally spend time as a family in communities like this, in Christian community. The Bible talks about this idea of gathering together. Um, God even set, set aside a day a week. The reason we have Sundays off generally is because back in the day, God set aside a day in the week so we could gather for rest and for worship. We pre-decide that this is part of our life. We don't wake up on a Sunday morning and go, oh, I feel like church today. We don't wake up, you know, Tuesday afternoon, you know, we don't get home Tuesday afternoon and go, oh, I feel like praying today. Of course, these things can be spontaneous. But as we predecide, we predecide not because we don't want to be spontaneous, but because these things are important and valuable for us. And we want to make sure that they get the attention that we think that we need to give them. So, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you kind of even know the story of Daniel or not. Is this controversial? I would think not. Is it good to pre-decide? Yes. Generally speaking, will things get better? Yes. Okay, here's the problem. Have a look at this. Matthew 26. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Okay. Now we've got some confusion, right? Because now we have Peter saying, Jesus, you are everything to me. Even if, I, even if everyone else falls away. I won't fall away, Jesus. I'm predeciding in this moment, I am not going to fall away. But even if you're not really a church person, you know the story of Peter, right? What happens? He denies Jesus three times. And not because he was under the threat of death. He just got embarrassed. Like, this is crazy, right? How could Peter, this guy who's so committed, so close, so intimate with Jesus... Predecide Jesus is saying, "You are going to fall away." And he says, "No, even if everyone else falls away, Jesus, I am predeciding in this moment, I will not fall away." But then what happens? He falls away. So what do we do with this? Is predeciding bad? I don't think it's bad. I think it's good. I just don't think it's the full picture. Let me see if I can explain. Um, really quickly, there is a book called Switch. And in this book, there is this elephant and the rider and the path. And what they say is that when it comes to our decisions in life or our predeciding or our will, that's represented by the rider. The elephant represents our emotions and the path represents our circumstances or the environment. So whenever we are doing anything in life, the rider, that is, my decisions or my will, we direct our life. We would, we would say our life is directed by our decisions. We would agree with that. And the elephant will do what the rider tells it to do. And that's how we get through life. We don't let our emotions guide us or control us. We, we say, no, we make decisions. And everyone agrees with that. And your emotions will follow. The elephant will do what the rider tells it to do. Until the elephant gets tired. And then the elephant does whatever the heck it wants. (laughs) Added to that, there is an environment or a path or circumstances that surround us. And without, we don't want to admit this, but there are distractions along the path. There are rocky parts of the path that make things difficult. And what um, the the authors of this book say is this. It's not enough just to make a decision. It is not enough just to pre-decide. We must also have our emotions in check and we must also clear the path. So should we predecide? Of course that's a good thing to do, but predeciding is not enough. We need to make sure that we have the healthy emotions, the emotional health to be able to follow through. And we need to be able to clear the path to make it easy for ourselves. You want to lose weight? Don't have junk food in the house. It's that easy. Clear the path. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm hoping this is helpful. This is not a Christian book. But if we are Christians, so those of us who are Christians today, this is incredibly helpful. Let me see if I explain. In many ways, God's law, God's commands, God's instructions direct the writer. They tell us what we ought to do. They paint a picture of the kind of life that God wants for us. But Martin Luther said, the law tells us what we ought to do, but does not give us the power to do it. The problem is we need emotions. We need the spirit that is within us to be able to follow through on what the writer has decided. And the Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus, we don't just receive forgiveness of sins. We also receive the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who comes into our life who takes possession of us and begins to transform us from the inside out. So if you are a Christian here today, if you know someone who is a Christian, you will at times see that they do not act in line with what the law would say. You would notice that there are times when they do not follow through. But that is because we have a sinful nature. But there are other times where the Holy Spirit takes control and they are able to follow through. They are able to live the kind of life that God dreams for us, the kind of life that God paints a picture of through his law. So the law directs the writer. The Holy Spirit is the one who basically keeps our emotions and our spirit in line with his heart. And lastly, Jesus said, when you pray, Pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he said this really interesting thing. Lead us not into temptation. What Jesus is saying is, look, this world is hard. The path is hard. It is full of rocky ground. It is full of distractions. Ask me, pray for me to clear the path so you are not unnecessarily distracted. You are not unnecessarily being caught off guard. There is nothing wrong with saying to God, I am weak. Clear the path. I am not strong enough. In fact, I would argue the whole gospel is not about being strong. It is about acknowledging I am weak. I do not have what it takes. Clear the path. Lead me not into temptation. So what does this look like when it comes to family? Well, we pre-decide to get home early. Is that a good thing? Sure. But then everything goes wrong in the last hour at work and you lose a file or some file gets corrupted or there's some kind of chaos in the office and all of a sudden you find yourself working back late. Did the predecision was the predecision wrong? No. But there's a sense in which we need to say, well, God, I can't control circumstances, but you can all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Had we have prayed God, clear the path, perhaps he would have cleared it so we could have followed through. Or maybe we get home and our intention is we're going to be encouraging and we're going to really invest and in not just be at home, but we're going to be really present and invest in our family members. But right before we're about to have dinner, an argument breaks out at the dinner table. And everything in you like it would be in me, gets frustrated and we lose our passion and lose our heart. What do we do? God, I am weak. I am easily, easily led astray by my sinful nature. By your Holy Spirit, take control of this elephant of my emotions. Give me the power to follow through and love and serve and encourage my family members. This is what it looks like to live the Christian life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin in full. This is the best news ever, by the way. I know we hear it all the time. But if you're kind of wondering, what is Christianity really about? It is not self-help. It is not principles. It is an event that happened in history where the Son of God paid for my sin and your sin in full. And in that moment, all my sin, all our sin was cast upon Jesus and all his righteousness when we put our faith in him is cast upon us. It is the best news ever. He was condemned so that we can become uncondemnable. It is the best news ever. But that was not a flippant decision. That was not a last moment, you know, oh, well, maybe I should just die on the cross to pay for their sins. It wasn't plan B or plan C. It wasn't like, well, maybe they could obey the law. Maybe if they just got their emotions in check, oh, they can't do it. I'm going to have to pay for their sins. Jesus predecided before the beginning of time. He knew the law had to be fulfilled. He knew the blood had to be shed. He knew that we could not meet the demands of the law. He knew that sin had to be paid for. We worship a God who, where we failed to predecide and follow through with our commitments. He did not. He had every reason to want to give up, but he stayed true to the course. And we thank him for that today. I wonder if you pray with me. Father, right now, we just, we just want to say how grateful we are that you are willing to send your son to die on the cross to pay for our sin in full. And we declare in this moment, Jesus, that we are not strong, but we are weak. And whilst we want to pre-decide, we want to live the kind of life that you desire for us. We want to be more loving and more compassionate. We want to spend more time with those in need. We want to do whatever it is that you have for us, God. We know that you are good and kind and that you've, you've come to bring life to the full. We acknowledge that as much as predeciding is helpful, it is not enough. We need your spirit in this moment, God, to remind us of your love and your mercy and your grace, but to take over our emotions, to take over our sinful nature, to literally overcome, overpower us in a sense so that we will live the kind of life you want us to live. We thank you, Jesus, that you died for sinners like me and that you love us as we are. Amen.